What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of Scoing Long. I'm your host, Zach Neal. We're going to bounce around a little bit today. We've got a few different topics to cover, and then we're going to get into a mailbag to close things out. To start, I want to take some time and look at both the men's and women's basketball teams at this point in the year, and I guess assess where things are and where things have gone wrong and try and figure out you know, where they go from here and, and where we're going into as we head into the month of March. After that, I want to provide an update on the Treshawn Holden situation in Oregon. There's been some notable developments since, uh, since we last talked on the podcast about that that could potentially change things for the Ducks, or they could mean very little. We're not quite sure at this point, but we'll discuss that a little bit. And I also want to touch on some conference realignment talk in the Pac-12. There are a lot of dominoes that still need to fall, but some smoke coming out of the conference in regards to a new TV deal and, and what that could mean for the Ducks in the, in, in the future in particular. After all that, we will get into our scoing long mailbag and answer a few listener questions. We've got some really good ones this week. Just a bit of a tease as well, I had both JD and Shane on from the Flock Pod earlier this week, recorded yesterday actually, and it was a, a really, really incredible episode. I'm not going to tell you the exercise that we went through, but let's just say that it is March Madness related. It was very difficult to set up and something that I have not really seen many other Oregon podcasts or Oregon websites attempt to do in recent years, so... That's an episode that will drop on the first Monday of March as a prelude to March Madness, and we will have an entire written segment that goes along with it on Duck's Wire, so uh, keep your eyes out for that. I am incredibly excited for that entire project to be released. It was it was a lot of fun to have those guys on and, and talk about some Oregon sports and some Oregon history, so with all that being said, thank you guys for tuning in. Let's get into it. It is about 2 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, and we are definitely in the offseason at this point. Football is slow. Recruiting is in a dead period where, you know, there's there's not much contact allowed between coaches and, and recruits. And spring football is still a few weeks away. We're starting to get into a little bit. Some storylines are creeping out, but we're still, you know, a few weeks away from being really, really in the middle of it once again. So that presents a really good time for us to talk about basketball, and unfortunately that's not a very fun conversation to have in Oregon circles right now. We talk about men's basketball a lot, so let's let's start with women's basketball um, and, and what Kelly Graves has going on right now in Eugene. The Ducks are, man, they're in a slide right now that we have not seen in a long time for, for Oregon sports. They've lost seven straight They've lost nine of their last 10 games. This is a team that was once ranked inside the top 25 at the start of the season, and now they're in they're in serious danger of missing out on the NCAA tournament, and they just they can't really they can't really put anything together right now. It's been it's been just really interesting to watch over the past few weeks that these games they're they're kind of in them to start and they just they keep losing them down the stretch. So, I mean, Graves said, I think it was after the last game that he at this point, he doesn't even think that they're an NCAA tournament team. I mean, he he doesn't think they're playing up to that standard, and he's one of the great coaches of all time, and he definitely knows what an NCAA tournament team looks like. And so for him to come out and say that, I know he's trying to, you know, add some fuel to the fire and get his players back playing 
the way that he knows they can and playing up to their ceiling and playing to the level that he expects from them. And, you know, I, I appreciate this method, trying to light that fire. We'll see if it works for them. But it's just been really interesting to see over the past few weeks. Like I said, in those nine losses, they've been leading or tied at the half in four of them. And they just end up losing them all. They end up letting them slip, you know, late in the third quarter and the fourth quarter. And just, I'm not sure what it is exactly that's that's happening, but they just can't really seem to close out these games. I know that they've been dealing with injuries. Grace Van Sluten, the true freshman, one of the, the really great players on this team. She's got another ankle injury that could end up keeping her out for some extended time. I know that Kelly said that it might be some time before we see her again. So whether that's this season, whether it's she takes the rest of the season off and comes back healthy next season, I'm not sure. That's that's going to be something to look. But at the moment, the Ducks are ninth in the Pac-12. They're 13-14 and 14 overall, 5-11 and 11 in conference. They are listed as one of the first four out in the latest bracketology that came out. And, you know, at this point, there's... They're going to need a really strong Pac-12 tournament push if they want to get into March Madness, which, you know, it's that's not where we thought this team would be going into the year. Uh, I think everyone had a lot higher hopes for them. Obviously, a top 25 ranked team, and they looked pretty good to start the year, too. And I just, I'm not quite sure where things have gone wrong. It's been kind of a disjointed season. Injuries have been a problem. They're kind of dealing with a short bench, short roster, so... Um, I will be be very interested to see how they close out the regular season and if they can get hot in the month of March and kind of make a run through that Pac-12 tournament. Because at this point, if we want to see them play in the March Madness tournament, they're going to need to get hot down in Vegas and, and really make some noise down there. That brings us to the men's team. Uh, there was an encouraging split. Last time we talked, they, they beat USC. They lost to UCLA at home. But they split those two games, those two L.A. games, which is what you needed to do. And they looked good against UCLA for the first half as well. Looked like they were going to win that game. Ended up losing. But, you know, that's fine. Going one and one against those two teams, you'll take almost every time because those are two of the better teams in the conference. So we had some encouragement uh, last time we talked about this team. But then, of course, you know, as they want to do often, they went on the road and they flopped against Washington and Washington State. They lost to both teams, and, you know, that, I don't want to put the kibosh on their season, but that could be it. I mean, as as far as March Madness hopes, that's it's going to be really, really tough for them to get there at this point. Uh, they are, at the moment, listed as the next four out in bracketology. So there's the, when you're talking about the bubble, there's the first four out, then there's the next four out. So, you know, they're probably seven, sixth or seventh in line to, to get into the tournament, which... Uh, could be encouraging if you had meaningful games left on your schedule, but I'm not sure that there's a realistic path forward for them to move up in the final three games. They play Oregon State, Cal, and Stanford, which are three teams near the bottom of the Pac-12 standings uh, in the regular season, so... Um, even if you go 3-0 and in those games, I'm not sure that that does enough to move you up at all as far as the bubble's concerned. They, much like the women's team, are kind of in a situation where you need a Pac-12 championship, a Pac-12 title, to get you in the tournament. I mean, think even if you win two games, two good games against quality opponents in the tournament, I don't think that does enough with your overall resume to get you in consideration for March Madness. So, I mean, this team has good wins against teams like Arizona, like I said, against USC. They beat Villanova earlier in the year. 
but there are just too many losses against bad teams. I think that they've just kind of they've done too much this season to shoot themselves in the foot, losing to your UC Irvines and your Utah Valley State, and you know they they just time and again that that loss to Stanford is still bewildering. Um, time and again, they had a chance to really get easy wins on the schedule to make these these end of season losses against Washington and Washington State. Those matter, and those those really take you out of it now with the uh, the overall resume that you have. So, at this point, I think it's Pac-12 tournament championship or bust for Dana Altman once again. Which you know, two years straight of probably going to the NIT, uh, that's tough. And I know a lot of fans are getting frustrated with that. Um, I I've said it before. I'll say it again. I you know I trust in Dana Altman. I think he's still a a really good coach. He's had a tough couple of years, whether it be with injuries or roster developments and and cohesion in the locker room I think it have really kind of they've been a a tough sell for this team right now and I think that that's well the roster development and the the team building aspect not so much this year I think injuries really killed them early on this year but I don't know I've I know a lot of fans are going to see you know if they go to the NIT again see hey maybe Dane Altman's it's time for him to go I say absolutely not I think that he's still a a world-class recruiter, a really good coach, and I just I, I want to see more than two bad years from him before I say it's time to pull the plug. Let's talk quickly about the Treshawn Holden situation at Oregon. I want to keep it semi-brief because there's still there's a lot of speculation and a lot of unknowns. We don't really have a clear-cut list of facts for us to go off of. I mean, it's still... We know what happened initially. We, I mean... There are a few facts to go off of, but everything else, there's just a lot of conjecture and a lot of confusion about this. So here's what we do know. Treshawn Holden was arrested on three charges, including unlawful possession of a weapon last week. Uh, Holden was immediately dismissed from the team via a statement from Dan Lanning. Holden was released and all charges were dropped after, after further investigation from EPD. And that's the those are the clear-cut things that we do know. Those are the facts in this situation. From there... Everything else is speculation. I mean, that's where all of the the conjecture begins. So one of the biggest questions is now that all of those charges were dropped, which I think was was surprising to some people because a lot of fans, you know, they hear about the the initial arrest and they hear that there was a weapon involved and all of the stories start and, you know, rumors build and, and we don't really know exactly what happened. We haven't seen the police footage, the body cam footage from EPD. It was not released, so... That's where all the speculation is, and one of the biggest questions is, do the Ducks bring him back? I mean, with those charges dropped, is there a pathway for him to come back on the team? We don't know, simply. I mean, Holden still has a lot of Oregon stuff on his social media pages. It feels like there's certainly, you know, maybe a chance he comes back, but, you know, we're... It's all speculation right now. We really have no idea. So I've been working hard to to get an answer on that, talking to some people and just trying to get an answer and, and figure out where the team might go from here. But the Ducks are being very tight-lipped about this, and understandably so. I think that there's there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes that while they try and figure out the best way forward for this. So it's really unclear if we're going to get a clear-cut answer on this. It kind of feels like... It will either be announced that he's returning to the team, or we don't hear anything. Um, it's I don't feel like they would really announce that he's off the team again, you know, or still off the team. So 
I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see which way they go with this because I could see them going either way. I could see them saying, "Hey, we we realized charges were dropped. We've we've looked further into the incident. Into the incident, we've talked to Trayshawn and and figured out a, a best way forward for him to join us." Or they could say that, or I don't think they would. Like I said, I don't think they would actually come out and say this, but it, they could feel that, hey, there were a lot of team rules broken here, and the fact that he was part of this incident whatever did happen the fact that he was even near um in the proximity of this type of incident that's enough for us to say hey we're gonna move on without him we'll be fine we wish him the best but um i i'm really not sure i i kind of expect like i said i don't know if anything is gonna come out if he isn't back on the team but i think that if we don't hear anything in the next week or so I would think that this is, you know, it's a, a done deal, and he's probably off the team for good. Let's take a quick break, and we will discuss some conference realignment talks. People always say that, you know, where there's smoke, there's usually fire. And there's been a lot of smoke coming out of the Pac-12 recently when it comes to conference realignment. Last month, you had George Klyavkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, visiting SMU, a potential expansion team for the Pac-12. There's been talks about the Pac-12 potentially moving back up to 12 teams. Obviously, all this started after USC and UCLA jumped ship last summer to to go to the Big Ten, which I think was, you know, uh, it was viewed in an interesting light last year because a lot of people were like, oh, what are you, why are you leaving the Pac-12? Are you... Why are you jumping ship and going, you know, just escaping pretty much? But now I think a lot of Oregon fans are probably, you know, pretty jealous of that move and wishing that they were right there along with USC and UCLA in the Big Ten because it, it kind of feels like the Pac-12 might be heading in the wrong direction, to, to say the least. Now, you have a lot of news coming out recently, particularly of the negative variety um, coming up about the upcoming Pac-12 media rights deal and speculation on who it will be with and how much it will be for. Um, you know, their their current media rights deal runs through, I believe, the end of the 2023 season. It's up in 2024. Um, and so they're, they're looking for a new TV partner, whether it be ESPN or Fox or CBS or Amazon. Um, they, they've gone through all of these negotiations and they're trying f- to find someone who's going to give them, you know, I think at the start of this process, Klyavkov promised around 30 million or 40 million per team per year of revenue. And it's looking like that's not going to be the case. At this point, the most recent news is that Apple TV has taken pole position as one of the leading candidates to land the Pac-12. Uh, that kind of worries you for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, would the Pac-12 be comfortable? Would those 12 teams be comfortable with a full-time streamer as their TV, uh, you know, distribution method rather than a traditional broadcast? Will Apple be able to fork over enough money to keep the the top teams happy and those front runner teams happy in the Pac-12 and not have wandering eyes? And is this a you know a sustainable model? The the whole streaming era is so new in sports and particularly in college sports that I think that a lot of people would have questions about, you know, the Pac-12 has always struggled to get eyeballs. And I know a lot of people outside of the West Coast did not have Pac-12 network and they were unable to watch a lot of Pac-12 games, a lot of Oregon games. You know, how does that change with Apple TV if you're you're asking every 
college football fan that's going to watch your games if you're asking them to get a, an extra streaming subscription if they don't already have it. You know, is that sustainable going forward? Does that really does that put these teams in the best situation going forward? Let's focus on Oregon in this discussion. Without USC and UCLA, it's pretty clear that the Ducks are, you know, the top school in the Pac-12, along with Washington. It should not be discounted that Washington has a, a big role to play here, and alongside Oregon, they are they are definitely one of the top schools, one of the most competitive, one of the biggest national brands in the Pac-12, and one of the largest media markets as well. So it kind of feels like George Klyavkov needs to cater to those two schools a little bit and, and make sure that they're happy and they're comfortable with what's what's going on moving forward. One of the latest rumors is that there's been potential talks about a, a merger with the Big 12 rumors that, um, you know, the Big 12 would take their, their schools and take some of the top Pac-12 schools and and uh, try and make one of these big mega conferences with, you know, 20 teams that can compete with the Big 10 or the SEC. I don't know if they'd be as good, but they'd be up there, you know, at the table, at least with the big boys. Uh, an interesting note that's come out of those those rumors is that Oregon is hesitant because they feel really confident that they can and should end up in the Big Ten, which I think is where they belong. I think that that's, that's justifiable. I think that Oregon could compete with the Ohio States and your Michigans and your Penn States and, and all of them and go right alongside USC and UCLA. Uh, I've heard rumors that Oregon would entertain a Big 12 merger, but as long as they have a clause in their contract that that lets them out of the the deal of rights with the big if a Big 10 spot opens up and and kind of lets them I guess have wandering eyes it it feels really interesting to say that they would they would take on a new contract but still kind of be in an, an open marriage of sort of sorts and be waiting for that big offer from the Big 10 if it ever came so this leads me to what I expect will happen and what I think Oregon fans should hope happens. I expect Klyovkov to land a deal with Apple for the Pac-12. Um, he presents that deal to the Pac-12. It's I don't know. There's there's rumors it's going to be around 18 million per team, around 20 million or so. Um, far whatever it is, far below the 40 million that was originally promised. Um, I think that a lot of teams will end up turning that down and saying, "Hey, that's that's not good enough. We have a better shot to, you know, to find success elsewhere and find a bigger slice of the pie elsewhere." And I think in the end, you'll have some of the top end teams leaving for a new conference. Like I mentioned, you've got your Oregon, you've got your Washington. They probably would be able to end up in the Big Ten. I know there's. There's confusion about whether the Big Ten wants to add more members or not. You have Kevin Warren, the former Big Ten president. He was in favor of expanding more from the 16 teams to hopefully the 20 teams. But then he left to took the president job for the Chicago Bears. So there's question marks on, you know, if they would expand more and where they would go. But I think that, you know, if Oregon and Washington became available, I think that the Big Ten would probably be the, the most likely landing spot for them because they make sense there. You know, then you get your four West Coast teams with Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA. You've kind of got a the start of a Western division in that conference, and that, that kind of makes travel a little bit easier on everyone. So you've also got the four corner schools, which are Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado. There's a lot of word that the Big 12 has some real interest in, in grabbing those four schools and bringing them down into the Big 12, which, you know, that... 
that makes sense. I could see those schools fitting alongside your Baylor's, your Oklahoma State's, your Texas Tech's, all of those schools. So that would make sense. But that leaves four other Pac-12 teams or Pac-10 teams, whatever you want to call it, where we don't know exactly where they'd go. It feels like Stanford probably would be able to go independent and go that Notre Dame route. They're uh, such a prestigious academic school. And, and you know, when they've got sp- their really good sporting school, football has been, you know, down a little bit over the past half decade. But even even Stanford football, when it's good, it's as good as anyone. So then you've got guys like Oregon State, Washington State, and Cal. They're kind of being left at the – they're being left without a seat at the table if this were to happen. Um, some rumors have been, or some ideas have been floated out that there could be a potential merger between the Mountain West and the Pac-12. So then you got teams like, you know, Boise State, Nevada, UNLV. Um, they could end up merging with these three Pac-12 schools and create a, I don't know what you would call it. Maybe it stays the Pac-12 or the Pacific Conference or whatever, but whatever it looks like in the end, I think it'd be a lot weaker than it currently is right now. So, all of this is speculation, dealing with billions and billions of dollars on the line, so I can't act like I really know what's going to happen, but those are my thoughts and I think what, what could end up happening, or at least um, what a lot, of, a lot of Oregon fans should hope happens in the end. I think that any situation here where, where it ends with Oregon and the Big Ten is definitely a win for Duck fans. At this point, it feels... It feels a lot like the end of the Pac-12 is is kind of on the horizon, and ultimately I think that ends up as being a good thing for the Ducks because this conference has struggled to prop them up as what they could be and maybe what they should be. And I think that the Ducks and Washington, for that matter, are teams that could thrive on a bigger stage in the Big Ten. I think they're, you know, they're some of the top talents and top brands out West, at least. And I think if the, you know, the world of college football is changing and it's it's coming be kind of becoming more professionalized and i think that if you're someone like oregon and someone like washington and if you're these big brands out on the west coast you don't want to be left out of that party and so i think that going forward i would i would not be surprised if they did find a seat somewhere whether it's a merger with the big 12 like we were talking about that makes them players but i think the the ultimate goal for both of the those two teams is to try and find a way to end up in the Big Ten at all costs because that's that's where I think you have the most success. Okay, let's take one last break and then we will come back and answer a few mailbag questions and get you guys out of here. Alright, let's open up the mailbag. First question comes from David and goes along with what we've been talking about as far as conference realignment goes. David asks, do you think that Oregon will be the cream of the crop in the Pac-12 once USC and UCLA leave for the Big Ten? I think, absolutely, I would argue that they've already been the cream of the crop in a sense out West. Um, I mean, the LA market absolutely means something. You can't take away that there's a lot of eyeballs and, you know, Los Angeles in particular is a huge, huge market and it really means something, especially when it when it comes to viewership and 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 dollars and cents but people love to watch Oregon football uh, i mean there were some stats that came out today that in the last 2 years alone 7 of the top 10 rated games uh in the Pac-12 were Oregon based i mean Oregon was part of those games and they they draw eyeballs and they've been the class of the conference for the past decade plus 
um, in terms of viewership and success on the field. They've got one of the few, I think one of two Heisman trophies in that time. They've got uh, one of, and it's probably one of the only national championship appearances. I know they weren't able to win that one, but you know they've been on the biggest stage competing against the best teams consistently in that top 25, top 10, top 5 conversation. And they've dominated the recruiting landscape and are among the winningest teams in the conference. I don't expect that to change. Um, I know it's it's probably more clear-cut that they are the top dog now with USC and UCLA out of the picture. You also have Washington. You also have Utah. Those are probably the big three if the Pac-12 goes forward without USC and UCLA. Again, with the whole realignment stuff, we don't know the future there, but... Yes, I think to to answer David's question, without those two LA schools, it's pretty clear that you have a top dog out west, and uh, I think that's definitely Oregon. This next question is from Preston. Preston asks, "Do you think that the Ducks will bring back Treshawn Holden, and did Dan Lanning act too quickly in dismissing him in the first place?" This one's complicated. I know I got into it a little bit earlier. To be completely honest, I don't think they will bring Holden back. Um, that's just, I don't have any inside information on this. Like I told you, I'm, I'm trying to get an answer on this and and struggling to get anyone in the program that will, that will say anything about it. They're being very tight-lipped, understandably so. I just, I don't know. The fact that they dismissed him so quickly leads me to believe that Lanning, I don't want to say is making a statement of Treshawn or making an example of him, but at least he's saying that, hey, this type of behavior, whatever happened, we don't know exactly what happened, like I said earlier, but just being in the proximity of this type of behavior and being associated with, you know, getting arrested and having a weapon, uh, that's not tolerated at Oregon, and that's not what we're going to have on this roster. So, um, yes, the charges were dropped. I think that you know, I'm not sure what, what team rules were or, or anything of that matter, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they didn't bring him back, citing that, you know, this is just this is just not where we want our program to be um in the mix with this type of storyline. So and the second part of that question, did Landing act too quickly in dismissing him in the first place? Maybe you could argue that. You could say that, hey, maybe they should have waited for more more of the investigation to take place and find out more about the charges. But like I said, I don't, I think that, you know, I talked on a podcast right after it happened that I, I appreciated the landing acted quickly because so often in this, this sport, we hear coaches say, Hey, yeah, we we're aware of the situation and we're going to, to wait to find out more about what happened. But, you know, he put a he put his foot down and, and drew a hard line in the sand that this is not something that we tolerate at Oregon. Um, it, it could end up, hurting the team down the road because yeah, Treshawn was likely going to be a really good player. And I think that he could have helped the team a lot going forward. But um, if they don't bring him back, I don't think it's the the biggest loss in the world. And I think it sends a clear message to your players and your fans and your boosters and, and you know, the nation at large that this is not tolerated. This is not something that you deal with at Oregon. And um, I'm not sure we'll, like I said earlier, we'll we'll find out in probably the coming week or so whether he's coming back or whether he's he's staying uh, off of the team. This next one we got from Travis. Do you think that Sir Mel's will get some playing time this year? 
To be completely honest, I don't think that he will get a ton. Um, I think he is still pretty low on the depth chart um, in my mind. I think you've got guys on that defensive line like Brandon Dorless, Casey Rogers, Popo Amavai, Keon Ware-Hudson. All of those guys are expected to get a majority of the snaps, I would say. Uh, and it feels like Sir Mels is probably in the group just below them, you know, alongside Ben Roberts, Masail Afaisi. Johnny Bounds, Michael Gardner, and so on. I think Mel's has a great chance this spring to, you know, earn a few snaps and and kind of prove himself in spring ball and try and get into that rotation. But, you know, I feel like at the moment the Ducks are in a really good position on that defensive line. They've got some really good depth there, really good returning starters and Dorless and and Casey Rogers. You got Popo coming back for another year, so uh, I would. I wouldn't go out on a limb and say that Sir Mel's is going to crack that rotation this year. And that's not to say anything bad about his talent level or his level of play. I think he's going to be a, a really solid player at Oregon. I know he's a lot of fans really love him. He's got a great personality. His mom was a lot of fun on Twitter. She's very active. So um, he's quickly turning into a fan favorite and someone that, that Oregon fans really want to root for. But I'm just not sure if he's going to be able to crack that rotation this year as a redshirt freshman, just because there's a lot of a lot of talent in front of him, and I think the Ducks are really set at that position right now. All right, this last one here is from Michael. Name one freshman, one transfer, and one returning player who you are most excited to watch in spring practice this season. Man, this is a really good question. Uh, I'm going to start with freshman. Hmm... I've talked a lot about Kenyon Sadiq, the tight end. I think he's going to be incredibly fun to watch, but I'm going to go on the other side of the ball. I think that cornerback Dalen Austin is someone that I really, really can't wait to see. He is, you know, one of the highest rated players on this roster um, in the 2023 class, I should say. And I think he's got a real chance to crack the cornerback rotation. We don't really know what we're going to get at the cornerback position. You've got transfer Kyrie Jackson from Alabama. You've got Dante Manning, Triquez Bridges. Uh, a lot of a lot of players that are on this depth chart at cornerback, but we just don't really know exactly what we're going to get. There's a lot of unproven still there. And based on what we've heard from Lanning and what we've seen from, from Dalen Austin's tape, he's a really, really physical and really good cornerback, someone who's got really great ball skills when they're in the when the ball's in the air. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see if he can kind of crack that rotation and make a name for himself early in spring ball and in the spring game and, and you know, actually make a case to, to I don't want to say start, but at least get into that rotation for the 2023 season. I think he can be a major piece. As far as incoming transfers go, I think it's a, a pretty easy answer for me. I can't wait to see Jordan Birch, the, the edge rusher from South Carolina. You know, a lot gets made of him being a former five-star recruit. Uh, he was supposed to be the next Jadavian Clowney at South Carolina. Of course, that didn't happen, but uh, edge rusher and pass rusher is just such a huge need for the Ducks this year. I know that um, the defense and the secondary in particular got a lot of hate from from fans last year because, you know, they just didn't perform up to expectations, but a lot of that is not completely on them. A lot of that is because Oregon did not get an established pass rush last year, and they were not able to get after the quarterback and make him uncomfortable. And, you know, if you give any quarterback, you know, five or six seconds in the pocket to survey the field, any secondary is going to struggle to stop that. So 
I think if Jordan Birch can come in and have the impact that, you know, a lot of Oregon fans hope he has, um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what he can do when he's put in the position to succeed and when he's kind of, I just want to see what that marriage with Dan Lanning is like and see Lanning coach up a, a really star-studded defensive lineman and defensive end and um, I I think that if you're talking about ceilings as far as transfers go, Jordan Birch probably has one of the highest on the roster right now. Uh, he could really end up, you know, completely changing the defensive line for the Ducks. As far as returning players, and I kind of had some a tough time answering this question. There's there are a lot of guys on this roster that I'm really interested to see what they do with this next year. A lot of young guys in particular. Um, I think for the most part, I think my answer is going to be Josh Connerly. You know, I I considered saying Kyler Casper, wide receiver. I considered saying cornerback Dante Manning. I considered saying linebacker Keith Brown. I just think in the end, Connerly came to Oregon last year as such a highly rated recruit. Number one offensive lineman in the nation. Number one offensive line recruit that has ever signed with the Ducks. Uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see if he can crack that starting lineup. I think that a lot of people are, I don't want to say prematurely projecting that he's going to be the starter at left tackle, but they're just saying, you know, Oregon has a a need at left tackle. They've got a hole there after TJ Bass left. And it's like, I, it'd be really convenient if Connerly can step up and be that, you know, that all-star left tackle for you. Um, we don't know if that's going to happen yet. We have, we have not seen him play a ton outside of that, you know, 14 J, uh, formation last year that we saw him in a good amount, but I'm just really curious to see if he can quickly get up to speed and, and kind of find that ceiling that we had for him coming in and we thought that he could have. So, um, if he ends up being one of the starting you know, tackles, left tackle, right tackle, I think that's going to be a, a major bonus for the Ducks because he's someone that can grow into be one of your, you know, your future stars on the team. And I don't want to say your next Panay Sewell, but a guy kind of like that who has a real NFL draft future because he's that that tackle body type. He's that kind of form fit offensive lineman that could really dominate and really be something special. All right, that's going to do it for us today. I will be back on next week to continue looking ahead to spring football. As we get into the month of March, we will start to really dive into some of the biggest questions facing the Ducks in year two of Dan Lanning. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at www.duckswire.usatoday.com or at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We will talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy. (laughs) 